0: Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Dolores, it's an honor to be here with you, to think that you're the person that said Si Se Puede, and that all of us now, it's part of how we speak. And it's Mm -hmm. how we think and how saying one thing like that changes the way people think. And we don't often get to hear from someone who's our elder who has had the privilege of a long life Mm -hmm. and a lot of experience, not just in your work, but as a woman. And so I have to start by asking you if you knew then what you know now, what are the things that you would tell all of us maybe that you would do different or the things that you've learned?
1: One of the things that we have to learn, and it would be good if, if, if little girls could learn this a lot earlier, that we do have the capacity to do what we want, that we don't have to feel inhib- inhibited or intimidated, that if we can just listen to our inner voice and have faith in ourselves and get the courage to speak out. And if we can learn that a lot earlier, that we don't have to wait until we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, to learn this. I think it's a valuable lesson and the world would be so much better off because the world needs women's voices. They need women's intuition. They need women's activity. They need women's leadership. I like to quote Coretta Scott King who said, we will never have peace in the world until women take power. So if we can start teaching little girls that they have power and that they shouldn't let anybody dominate them or intimidate them or keep their voices silent, then I think the world would be better off. And I think that's what we have to do as women, make that our mission. only to, you know, give ourselves uh, more power as, as women, but to think about how, what can we do to make sure that little girls know from day one, so. Well,
0: you know, I've been all over the country and there's a common denominator. First of all, the voice part that you talk about, I mean, we're not born sometimes with a voice mm-hmm. and a lot of traditional cultures quiet the women down. Here you were the daughter of a single mom. Mm-hmm. You guys were both working all the time. How did
1: you find that voice? Well, my mother actually pushed me. Uh, she would always say to me, don't be afraid to speak out. You know, she actually pushed me a lot into the public life. But even then, I still didn't know that I could do more. So it, it's I think we take a lot for granted. We think, well, if a, if a girl has a a good education, that that she could still become an activist. I think it takes a little bit more. Uh, Again, I'm gonna use the word courage again. And the reason that I think a lot of women don't speak out because they're afraid that they're going to be criticized, that uh, they're going to be seen as too assertive. And as, you know, like they say, they use the B word against women Yes. You know, when they try to Uh, to take leadership or they're more assertive. And so somehow we have to learn as women to ignore those comments and to know that when we're trying to do something to help other people, uh, it's okay. Uh, We know that we're going to get criticized, but we have to ignore those criticisms and just keep on working. You talked about how women are always trying to please men. I mean, the other common
0: denominator I see with women is still, I mean... Women still think Prince Charming is coming. Vemos novelas and we think like El Principe Azul is coming. And I say to women, there is no Prince Charming. You're it. But you here, you you kind of started out in a traditional life. Mm -hmm. You married early, had children quickly. How did you change your
1: mindset to think the be all and end all is not a man? I I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that uh, women, especially young girls, have to learn. And actually, my mother was the dominant figure in our family. And compared to all of my girlfriends, most of my girlfriends got married when they were teenagers. I was 20 years old when I got married. So, in fact, I was the last one in my group to get married. But, uh, you know, and I always worked, so I always had a certain degree of independence. And I was divorced uh, twice. So, so. I knew that, that as a woman, I, I could be independent. I, and I learned that from my mother. And I think maybe that's what women have to learn, uh, that, yes, they have to have their own bank account, even if they are married. That's what I tell women. I yeah. said, if you don't have your own money, you're it, not empowered. Exactly, exactly. Right? And my mother told me that from the very beginning. When I first got married, she says, Don't forget to set up your own bank account. And I think one of the things that holds us back is that women don't like conflict. And we think, well, if we're creating conflict when we stand up for ourselves, that somehow that's wrong. Mm. And, you know, even Gandhi always said that if we have to have conflict, uh, even though it might hedge on the end of some type of forms of violence, but if we have to have conflict because you're trying to save a life. So the lives that we're trying to save are our own lives. That's right. So that, you know, we can uh, really work on what we aspire to. We can reach the goals that we set for ourselves
0: well and it's interesting because i think we go back to these these tenants right like one is this whole thing of your voice be quiet Mm -hmm. don't say don't say anything about your family keep secrets which is very Latino and then you know the man that's coming into your life that somehow is going to save you and it's funny because I go to colleges and I see more women now more young women saying I want to find a rich guy I don't want to work as hard as my mother almost going backwards and I think to myself okay if you don't really understand your place and you don't understand the power of your own money and the Mm -hmm. power of everything and then the third thing is kids I see a lot of women say to me no puedo hacer eso because of my kids. I can't do this because of my kids. Really being almost afraid to uh, do anything if, if the kids are not first. And I always say, how could you do that if you're not doing things and if you're not showing them something? How are they're going to grow up to marry somebody that's not empowered. For you, I mean, in your moment, being a mom, it must have been very difficult.
1: Yeah, I've got people would criticize me, and uh, one of my mother-in-laws always said to me, why are you always working? Why don't you stay home and take care of the children? But, you know, my mother always worked, so I already, I grew up with, with that tradition of, of, of a woman having a job from, to, to begin with. But the other thing is, I think we as women, sometimes we, we somehow feel or think that we are the only ones responsible for our children and in order to have women in civic life we have to yes get other people to help us with our children and one of the things that we as women have to put on our agenda politically is to have universal free child education and child care for all of our children and this is something that they have in other countries so there's no reason why we can't have it in the United States of America the richest country in the world along with free healthcare, along with free education. These are some of the things that we have to fight for, and that is exactly why we need women in civic life. And we shouldn't feel guilty when we ask someone else to to help us with our children. I mean, there are working women every day that have that issue. When they wake up in the morning, sometimes many women are single parents, like my mother was. She was a single parent. So we all had always had to depend on some family member uh, to come and, and help my mother to take care of us when we were kids. you know. But we shouldn't feel guilty. The main thing we have to understand is that the world needs us as women. We've got to step into that public arena. We've got to be there when the decisions are made. And I love to say, when you look at... A television screen and you see a big meeting and there are no women in the room there are no women at the table I like to say if there are no women there or equal numbers of women they are going to make the wrong decisions and we can see that we can well, see that. we can see that right now in our current world when we see how much money are we spending on defense and on wars billions and billions of dollars mm-hmm. but we do we have enough money for education no, no. Do we have enough money for healthcare? No. Do we have enough money for early childhood uh, no. education? No. So the choices are made by other people that don't live. That don't live in our shoes. That's right. The, the choices being made by men, and that's why we have to take the power.
0: I loved. Watching in your documentary that you said you felt called to do this activism work, Mm -hmm. and then you felt guilty at the same time because you had to leave your children a lot, and that you asked God, please, if this isn't what I'm supposed to do, send me a sign. Can you tell me what was going on in, in your mind and in your life during that period? I mean, how does one find their purpose?
1: Well, I think that when you start doing social justice work, the answers are there, you know, they the come. answers are there. Yeah, they, they're there. They come to you and you know what you have to do. Now, the big thing is to make the choices to do what we have to do. And sometimes those choices are difficult. And with, like, in my case, I had my own house, you know, I had my own work. And to, to leave all of that behind with my seven children, and move going on. through a divorce, taking them to, to another place where we did not have, know where our next move was going to be coming from. And, and taking that, that, it was like like going away to join the circus or something like that. It was a very hard decision to make, but uh, to this day, obviously, I do not regret making that decision, and it was a bold decision. And that's what we have to do sometimes. That's what I, when I talk about the courage uh, to make those tough decisions as women, we know a lot of women are kind of stuck, a, stuck. in their daily lives, and they know that they want to do more. They want, uh, They have also, they have the calling like I did, but they're afraid to take that step, that very big courageous step. Uh, to change their lives. Sometimes when we do that,
0: though, and we know this, our kids are our biggest critics. Can you talk a little bit about that—the trajectory of your kids and what your kids witness when they're going, when they're young, and
1: how they kind of understand because they grow up. Well, my kids kind of grew up in the movement, uh, so they didn't know any other kind of a lifestyle. You know, I mean, they grew up, uh, and as one of my sons, uh, Ricardo, my youngest son, he liked to say, he said, "My mother." Uh, we had to share my mother with the world, but my mother shared the world with us. So mm. they lived a lot of experiences that you couldn't, you, you know, you couldn't uh, manufacture those experiences for them. Uh, they grew up uh, meeting uh, great individuals, you know, uh, historical figures that we have uh, in our society. And they learned a lot. And uh, I'm sure that there was some resentments there as, as, as you saw in the, in the film. So do you think kids finally get it? Oh, I think they got it from the very beginning. Unfortunately, the documentary did They never interviewed my children to ask them what they learned in the movement, which I think would have been a good addition to the film. Mm.
0: So the film has
1: a very chauvinist uh, slant to it. (laughs) So in this process of you finding
0: your mission and making all these sacrifices, I also saw that you said, I was happy the day that Fred Ross and and Cesar invited me to lunch because they finally saw me. How hard was it for a woman back then? even though you were leading, doing all this
1: work, to be seen. Well, and also because uh, of the help that we needed to be able to carry out the work. And so I, I think yeah, I felt very proud about that because I was thinking about how great that the work that I'm doing is being recognized. But I'm glad that you said that because, again, it shows how we as women, we don't think of ourselves. We don't put the feminist lens uh, to say, OK, whatever I do, I, I should also put a little tag on that and say, yes. Let's, let's let's put the woman label on that. Let's put the feminist label yeah. on that. And I think uh, uh, that that is very profound. It is, yeah. and
0: and I, I loved uh, in the film. You talked a lot about your transformation mm-hmm. to thinking you're a feminist. Mm-hmm. Especially when your values didn't always align with the feminist movement. I know that since you have so many children, you didn't fully align with some of the feminist values. Well, well, I
1: think the main issue is I always uh, thought of myself as a feminist because of my mother uh, being the prominent uh, person in our family. And uh, she was a visionary uh, very much ahead of her time in terms of our diet, you know, the way that she cooked. She always made sure that we had healthy food to make sure that we grew up as healthy kids. And she was always uh, very dominant in our community. You know, she started the very first uh, uh, Mexican-American Chamber of Commerce. Uh, So my mother was a a very strong leader when it came to the issue of abortion, being raised as a Catholic. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, the Catholic Church has a lot of traditions that, that are not supportive of women. And so that, that was my big issue that I had was the issue of abortion. But after uh, hanging out with Gloria Steinem, hanging out with Eleanor Smeal, uh, who is the head of the Feminist Majority Movement, then I was able to wrap my head around that and understand that this is science, and we're talking about women's bodies, and we're talking about the right of women to make the choices over what happens to their own bodies. And the other thing is, I think, often time, and we know that the Catholics are just very involved in what I call a divisive issue of abortion. And this is what I like to say to Latina women. Think about this. What another woman does with her body is none of your business. Every every family has to make that decision for themselves. And why should we? As Catholics impose our beliefs on other people, like the Catholic Church was against divorce for many years. My mother was divorced. My grandmother was divorced. I was divorced a couple of times. I mean, so the Catholic Church thought that the earth was flat. Yeah. <laughs> and people were executed for it when they didn't go along with the beliefs of the, of the Catholic Church. So what the, the Catholic Church is always going to be, I'm going to say, centuries behind present day beliefs. Why should we impose our beliefs on other people? Yeah. I mean. You know, people should be free to marry whomever they want. This is a human rights issue. Women's bodies and women's rights are human rights issues. And nobody, not any religion, not any politician, or any law should interfere with people's human rights. So what I'm hearing you say is you've had a real evolution yourself. And I talk,
0: you know, I talk a lot about this with women because I think we carry a lot of baggage that we bring from our parents, our grandparents, generations, and we don't stop to think, do we really still believe this? And I think for you, it was an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way that you talk in the film too about the fact that really in the in the farm workers movement it was really women. You had more women than in any other union. Mm-hmm. That here in this very patriarchal society that we come from, the women kind of infiltrated. And yet, how hard it was even to be in the management, the board, just like we see in the United States, mm-hmm. just like we see in all areas, in the world. right? That here we are doing the work mm-hmm. for everyone, mm-hmm. and yet we still don't have CEOs. Talk a little bit about that, what you've seen about happen.
1: Well, this is what we have to do as women. We've got to realize that we've got to aspire and we've got to work to take those positions of power because when we become the decision makers, not only do we decide on laws and on policies that affect women and children, but the biggest thing that we can decide where the resources are going to go, where the money is going to go, especially when we think about our tax dollars. And even the money that we give to corporations, because the money that they get always comes from the consumers, and the money goes up to the top. And then what they do with that money, does it come back to us? Of course. No, it come back a, to I it. say this all
0: the time. We have the most, we are the, Latinas and women of color are the number one, customer in America. Exactly. So we have all the power. Mm-hmm. If we were to not buy from one company for a month, they'd go under. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the next revolutionary thing because we are not using the power we have as purchasers. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's why I say to women so much, we're living in a moment of entrepreneurship, too, mm-hmm. where the digital age has changed the whole thing. Why are we not making the money so we can put money to the candidates we want? I, I think we were also never told that part, mm-hmm. that it takes money mm-hmm. to change systems and communities. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm just so glad you're saying all this because it is a moment to make sure that all these women of color evolve.
1: Right. Yeah, I think women are coming to, number one, the realizations, with the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Now when we have this big movement against sexual harassment, uh, we know that we have movements now that are talking about women's wages and we know that the Latina women are the least paid of all of the different classifications of women. That's right. And so I think women are awakening, you might say right now, uh, but there's so many layers of discrimination against women. So, you know, we're taking maybe one at a time, but ultimately, as you just stated, we've got to look at the wealth. We've got to look at who controls the wealth of our country. We have 1% of the families, like the Walton family, who owns Walmart, you know, wealthy families like that, that control 50% of the wealth of the United States of America. And when you add the corporations uh, to the wealthy families, you have 10% that own 90% of the wealth in the United States. And here, our schools are starving. You know, our teachers have to go on strike to get smaller class sizes. Our teachers are not being paid enough money. They don't have the support systems that they need. You know, again, our health services, we should have, as we stated before, free health care for everyone. There's no reason why we can't. We're the richest country in the world. So these are things that actually are attainable. And a lot of it has to do with who we elect to office, you know, who our representatives are in the Congress. So we can make that happen. So we, as women, we have to really uh, step up you know and all women i think have to step up all because women. we can make the difference we are the number of women are the majority and uh, we could uh, just you know become involved get active and and make those decisions uh, we have to sacrifice some time uh, we can either bring our children with us or we can have somebody watch them while we get involved uh, to make the differences that we that we this is urgent it this is, is, urgent. is critical We are at a defining moment right now in our history, and women, we are the ones that can call it the vision. We can act on it, and we can make the difference in our world.
0: Is it tough for you to have witnessed this revolutionary period of of in our history you know somebody I I wish I was there in the 60s to see everything that happened to then see things get a little better and then things get so much worse is it hard sometimes to see that maybe things in your lifetime will not be resolved
1: well I think that we have to remember this that uh, the journey for justice is a long one and it's not going to happen right away we have to keep working on it working on it and the main thing is that people have to understand that because so they don't get cynical because when people get cynical, then they kind of check out and they don't want to really get involved anymore. So people have to understand that we can win. And I love to quote Caesar Chavez on this. He, he, Caesar would always say, we will win as long as we don't quit. You know, when we did that first strike for the farm workers, it was a five-year strike, five years, and people hung in there. And I remember when I was on the boycott in New York City, and then I would come back to Delano, California, where the strike was at, and I always felt guilty because we hadn't won yet, and the workers would, would tell me, oh, don't worry, Dolores, don't worry, we're going to win. Because they knew and they and, and, that we had to win. We had no option. And this is where we're at right now. We have no option. We have to go forward. We have to change this world. We've got to make sure that the resources of our country here are spent for the people, for the working people and uh, poor people. So we have to call all the women, okay? We are, I'm gonna say, this is like a a war, a a movement for change. And we've all gotta sign up uh, to make sure that this happens. And we as women have got to be the first ones on the front lines, on the front lines of justice. So it's not just about us as women, it's about our children, it's about the rest of the world. Because in the United States of America, we influence the world. You know, we have so many resources that we influence the world. So we get involved in all of these different countries on issues of war. Okay, why don't we get involved in all these countries for issues of peace and for issues of justice and equality and equity? We can do that as women.
0: Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. So let's talk about Latinos. And I feel like all I do is talk to Latinas Mm -hmm. about speaking up, about being louder Mm -hmm. and braver. Mm -hmm. And yet we're not united as a group, you know, and yet Latinos are the number one emerging market in the world, Mm -hmm. our numbers, have already happened. Mm-hmm. We are the largest minority. We have the most power in the country, and yet we're lagging behind. Can you talk about that?
1: Why is that happening? How can we change that? What must we do? Oh, well, I think that Latinos are just like every other group of people. Uh, you have uh, Latinos that are pro-business. Uh, you have Latinos that are pro-workers. Uh, so they just kind of uh, reflect uh, the, uh, the, the major community in that respect. I think probably Uh, What we need more in our Latino community is uh, more organizing so that a lot of people who are, they're so busy right now just trying to survive, uh, trying to work two jobs and, uh, you know, get the children to school, et cetera, et cetera, that sometimes they don't have a, uh, they, they At least they think that they don't have time to get involved politically. And uh, we don't have really enough resources in our community to do organizing. But I think that makes a lot of difference because once people find out that if they come together that they can make changes. And by the way, it also changes their conscience. Once the people start getting enlightened and they start understanding a policy and politics, and once they understand that they will change their ideas on these issues, and uh, not let themselves be divided so uh, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done to our latino community and we have to remember many of the majority i think of latinos in this country uh, were uh, fairly recent immigrants uh, that came here starting maybe with the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So there's a difference, I think, because we have a lot of new immigrants that kind of don't understand exactly what the politics of the United States are. So let's talk about, in, in your particular case, you
0: focused on a specific issue, and you worked on it, and worked on it, and worked on it, and as you said, you, you, you and Cesar didn't give up, and so you had change happen. How can we as Latinos do what you did? How do we st- get to one cause? How
1: do we begin? How do women begin? Well, actually, with my foundation, we work on, on multiple issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we're focusing on education uh, issues, on equitable, uh, equitable education, and trying to stop the school-to-prison pipeline, because they had expelled and suspended 2,500 students in a year and a half, and the majority of those were black and brown, It suspended hundreds of times higher than the Anglo children. So we sued them and we won. So from 2,500 students that were expelled and suspended, we got that down to 25 or 26. I love hearing
0: that because I was expelled and I fought
1: back and I beat my case. So that makes me happy. Wonderful. Well, that's what we're doing now. We're organizing parents uh, so that they can fight the school districts. But the great thing about organizing, when you organize a group of people and you teach them that they have power, then they take on the issues in their community and they do miracles because they find out, they don't have to wait for somebody to come and do it for them. They can learn how to do uh, and change public policies on their own. So you have never stopped. You have started the foundation and you have been doing this
0: nonstop. Mm-hmm. So this really, <laughs> this is your joy.
1: Well, this is, this is again, my calling. Uh, I was very blessed to learn how to organize. And so this is kind of magical. Once people learn that they have power, then you want to be able to spread that lesson to everybody, because if everybody in this country would realize that they have the power to change things. That the, the vision that we were talking about, the dreams that we were talking about, they can become a reality. So how can someone in wherever, Chicago, somewhere else, what could they do to get started? Well, uh, you know, it only takes what they call the militant few. If you want to change something, You think about how you're gonna do that, then you get somebody, recruit somebody to do it with you. You know, I I like to remind people when we started the United Farm Workers, it was just Cesar, his wife, Helen, and myself, the three of us. And then, you know, at the end of the day, that we had millions of people believe that were involved. It's just a matter, it came out the message to people, but it just take a few people to start something, but you've gotta really believe in it. And uh, you've got to give it the time, but you have to recruit other people to help.
0: But one thing that you said in your documentary that I thought was very powerful is that you all decided that in order to represent these people and actually complete your mission,
1: you had to live like them. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think you have to relate to people uh, so that they will trust you and they will believe in you. Uh, Because a lot of people, especially poor people, they get taken advantage of where people are always ripping them off. But I think people will respond if they know that you're sincere and you're not just trying to use them, but you're really trying to help them, that people will respond and, and they will, uh, you know, come into your organization. And, and then once they volunteer uh, to do the work, that's how they learn. And that's where they develop their leadership. So becoming a leader is basically by doing the work that needs to be done.
0: You were beaten up mm-hmm. once doing the work that you do mm-hmm. and you, for a bit, got very sick. And what that whole experience, what, what, how did that experience affect you and how did it affect your family?
1: Well, when I had that beating uh, by the police, it was very brutal, but some, de- some good things that come out of it. Number one, they had to change all of the policies of the police department so that they could not repeat that incident again. Because when I was beaten up in 1988, there were several other people that were also beaten up. Many of them were afraid to sue because uh, they're activists in, in the Bay Area, and they were afraid the police would come after them. I, I did go. I did go ahead, and I did sue. As a result of that uh, lawsuit, the city of San Francisco has to give me two thousand dollars a month until I die. <laughs> wow! So, so you I'm planning to, to live. I'm planning to live a very long time. You know, so, so that uh, yeah. So ultimately, it became a blessing in disguise, but. Uh, but, that, you know, nonviolence has a, a very, a very strong force to it. But people kind of have to, they have to believe in it, that it can work. Mm-hmm.
0: I also noticed when you had that beating that it really
1: brought your whole family together. Actually, what happened in the year 2000, I had an aneurysm. Mm. And I was disabled. You combine for, the two things. I uh, was disabled for seven months. Mm. So when you have a near-death
0: experience, and now that you're approaching an incredible age, what do you feel are your greatest learnings?
1: Well, I think that, again, um, we learn from our experiences. I, I know when people talk about wisdom, I don't think it's as much wisdom as it is that you learn from the experiences that mm. you go through in, in life, you know? I think what I have learned is, uh, well, number one, the magic of organizing. Um, I believe that the people can do miracles once they come together. And I think they have the patience uh, that we need uh, so that, and I like to say to people, when we're trying to organize other people, uh, we have to uh, be careful, again, in the spirit of nonviolence, not to get angry when they don't agree with us, because uh, I think we have a tendency to do that, uh, but uh, try to just have patience and just know that they're not ready for the message yet. And, you know, reach out. When, and we, we're trying to recruit this one person, and even if they have the skills and the, and the abilities that we need for our movement, but they're not ready for us, you know, to their own cause, into their own life, so we have to just leave them there, peacefully and then Meet go them on, where they are. leave them where they are and then go on to the next person and tr- because we will find somebody and uh, just have the patience and faith to know that we will find the people uh, that we that believe in justice and that believe in commitment, believe in sacrifice to make things happen.
0: What is the power of fasting? No,
1: thank you for saying that because nonviolence has a, a spiritual force attached to it because when people engage in actions of nonviolence, they're actually affecting uh, the thoughts and the emotions of other people. Uh, and that brings more people to your cause. It deepens the commitment of the individual, I think, to your particular cause that you're working on. So. I think that's very important.
0: Oh, that, that, that is an incredible, incredible thing. And I have to ask you a question that I would hate if my son asked me, but I have to ask you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: After this very rich life you've lived, what do you think is our purpose on this earth?
1: Well, I think it's a very simple answer. We're here to make the world a better place. And I love to say to people, we're not here just to acquire goods. You know, we have to figure out, uh, when I leave this planet, did I leave it in a better place? place than when I arrived. I think that's amazing If everybody could make that their goal, I think definitely we would have a, a, a better world. I love that. Mm-hmm.
0: And let me ask you as a woman, I have to tell you that as someone who was you know a first woman president of a TV network and how I felt climbing that ladder to mm-hmm. get there and everything I went through and watching you, all the obstacles you know but again feeling like you're doing something greater than yourself, mm-hmm. you're a first mm-hmm. and how important that is to other women, I noticed like the same kind of your same kind of face. Mm-hmm. when you were doing all that work that I had as president of a network, like I felt very masculine at times, mm-hmm. very tough, very, like I had a different look. Mm-hmm. I see you now and you're in a place of softness. Mm-hmm. Of I feel very like you're very spiritual, like mm-hmm. you're very understanding mm-hmm. and empathetic of the world. What are the phases we have to go through sometimes mm-hmm. to get back to femininity?
1: Uh, well, I don't think it's pers- purposeful or intentional. I mean, I think uh, probably our faces reflect, you know, uh, what uh, we're into at the moment. And obviously, uh, when uh, we were fighting uh, for the union, for the right to organize, uh, we're up against uh, people that uh, really hate us, we, people that are very racist. So sometimes you have to, you do have to put on a tough face. And again, as women, uh, we shouldn't uh, feel bad when we have to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay to, to look firm. It's okay to look tough because we're up against some Uh, a tough ombres as they say. (laughs) So I think sometimes it's okay, and we shouldn't feel uh, guilty when we have to have a tough face or a tough voice. Sometimes it's needed, especially when we're fighting the issues of sexism, we're, we're fighting the issues of homophobia. You know, when we hear somebody make a, a chiste colorado, uh, some yeah. kind of a joke that offends women, we should say to them, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, but that joke is it, not right, what you just said. That hurts people. Or when somebody makes a joke about gay people or a racist joke about... Or a, a pers- something about Latinos. Oh, yeah? Heard, we, or, we hear people, talk, I say, I don't like, allow people to say bad things about Latinos. Yeah, about, you know, we should call them on it. And I call it instant education. And sometimes it's embarrassing for them, but sometimes you have to do that to people. Sometimes I say to people, what Mm -hmm.
0: did you just say? You just stabbed me in the heart. I think it doesn't always have to be angry. Sometimes
1: Mm -hmm. it could be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I don't think we should hold back because uh, sometimes we may not and get a chance to see that person again. And we lost, we lost that that moment, that moment right there where we could have corrected them.
0: I have to ask you, what is the power of love in our
1: life? What does it mean in our life? How, is love trans- how has love transformed you? Well, I think uh, love has to be uh, the basis of everything that we do. You know, if we always can keep that in mind, that even when we correct people, I always like to say it, like it was a parent, when you're you see your child doing something wrong, you correct them. Not because you want to criticize them, but you want to put them into the right direction. The same thing that we should do with friends, you know, try to correct them. And and also with life, you know, try to correct it. But do everything with love, do everything with nonviolence. We don't want to do it with vengeance. and We don't want to do it with hatred. We don't want to wish harm on anybody. But, But yes, we do have to just make that a kind of our everyday mission. So now
0: that you are the age that you are, and you're, you, you're in a different place in time mm-hmm. than when you were younger, what is really important to you at this point in your
1: life, and what is urgent? You talked about urgency. What is the most urgent? Well, to me, the most urgent thing that we have is to, again, try to organize as many people as we can. That, to me, is the urgency get as many people involved. around specific things yeah. that they believe in and yeah. yeah. get them changed. Well, or, or just, to, just to get them to make a commitment to say, you know, I'm going to sacrifice some of my time to a cause. You have finally, in
0: a great way, been recognized mm-hmm. for everything you've done. It's taken, mm-hmm. it's taken a long time. I mean, I think the reason I'm doing these interviews is because I feel that Latina and women of color don't see enough women that are Mm -hmm. hidden figures Mm -hmm. that are really doing the work we only glamorize actors or actresses or athletes in our communities Mm -hmm. and yet we have people in our community that are really doing the work Mm -hmm. to evolve us what is the importance for you of you know getting the medal from barack obama uh getting your documentary and what is and more than what it means to you what does it mean to all of us to know that we stand that you
1: stand on our shoulders? Well, you know, when I when I get these recognitions, I am also standing on the backs of so many people that did the work uh, because. One person doesn't, you know, we're kind of at the, at the front of the march, but, but without the people that they're in the march, there wouldn't be a march to begin with. So you have had uh, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people that have been involved to make the work uh, happen to get the results that, that we've been fighting for. So it's quite an honor, but I think the important thing, and I think this is what uh, you uh, you kind of uh, referred to, is that we are then models and examples for others. And so I think that's why it's important also uh, for we as women uh, to take credit for what we do and to not be uh, feel gosh, uh, I put feel that we, that we don't deserve the recognitions uh, that we get. We we need to say I'm 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 grateful that I got recognized. I'm happy that I got recognized. But I hope that this recognition uh, will serve to inspire other people.
0: Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful. And and I think what is the importance of people seeing that someone that starts out with an ordinary life
1: mm-hmm.
0: with a single mom. Mm-hmm can have an extraordinary life that changes things for everyone that it is possible.
1: That is so important because uh, it's not about Wonder Woman. It's about Wonder people and that every one of us should feel that we are special and that we can do something uh, and that we you know that's I, I, the whole idea about superheroes, I think uh, sometimes uh, makes people feel like like they, uh, do not have the skills. They do not have the capacity. That you have to be a superhero uh, to make things happen. No, that is totally contrary. When we think of the of the, of the when we think of the major uh, changes in our society, it's always been done by ordinary people. So it's ordinary people that do extraordinary things. We have to remember that. And one person, I don't care who he or she is you never can do it by yourself it takes the people and it takes the people coming together it takes the people uh, building organization to make things happen
0: moneymaker is a production of money news network moneymaker is written and hosted by me nelly galan our executive producer is morgan lavoy thanks for listening see you next time